Hello there and welcome to Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. I'm Rory McKenzie, a senior science writer for TN, and on today's podcast we are taking a look at how creativity begins in the brain. Last week I interviewed the University of New Mexico's professor Rex Jung, who has spent a decade studying the neuroscience of creativity. The resulting interview is now an article on our site, which you can read in the show notes for this podcast, and here you'll hear excerpts from my interview with Rex. Every work of art, all scientific literature, every technological advance, even, some may argue, this podcast. Without the power of creativity, none of these endeavours could have been attempted, and human society would be far less interesting as a result. Now, given the scale of human creativity, it's been no mean feat for science to define and study this phenomenon. Here we're going to investigate the research that has attempted to understand where creativity emerges in the brain and why it exists in the first place. So there's uh, what's called the standard definition, um, which was coined by a gentleman named Stein, I believe, in the 1950s. And it is creativity is the production of something novel and useful. Those are the words of Rex Jung, an assistant professor in the Department of Neurosurgery and director of neuropsychological research at the University of New Mexico in an interview with me last week. Jung has studied creativity for over a decade and believes that this rather rigid definition is needed to bring focus to the study of something so varied. Um, That uh, dichotomy is kind of interesting. You have Mm. uh, too much novelty on one hand and you have um, the neologisms of uh, schizophrenia um, and then uh, 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 too much utility. And of course, you're not going to produce anything that's particularly new. A third metric added by the University of California professor Dean Keith Simonton is that a truly genius creative can also contribute ideas that are so novel that they are surprising. Take, for example, Darwin's ideas on evolution, which are so out there in the 1870s that they produced widespread debate, anger and even mockery. Even with a grasp on what creativity is, it's not easy to work out where our creative impulses come from. There's two main types of creativity research. One is looking at normal creativity because in my conceptualization, I believe that creativity is something that we all have to varying degrees. He's clear on one limitation of this type of research. As in most psychological studies, participants in examinations of creativity are usually college students who may have limited experience of being creative. To provoke novel, useful and surprising reactions in participants, Jung and his colleagues might ask them to undertake a cognitive task called divergent thinking. Jung says, the most classic example of this is, tell me as many uses you can think of for brick. After volunteers have suggested their ideas, be it doorstop, paperweight, lumbar support, tombstone, nutcracker, fish tank furniture, etc., Jung then examines their brain using imaging techniques such as magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, or electrical activity monitoring methods like electrocephalography, EEG, that can show how neurons and circuits in the brain are firing. In addition, a technique called fractional anisotropy can be used to measure the structure of white matter in the brain. Now, 
White matter is mainly made up of myelinated axons, which are long connections between neurons that carry brain signals. The combination of these techniques enables researchers to get an approximation of the makeup and activity of neurons during the creative process. The other common type of creativity research compares the brains of individuals with creative backgrounds against less adept volunteers. Now, one study that Young points to was conducted by University of California San Francisco neurosurgeon Charles Lim, who managed to cram a 35-key custom-built piano keyboard inside an MRI scanner. A group of six full-time professional jazz pianists took turns improvising on the keyboard while lying down in the scanner. The results, as Young explains, were novel, useful and surprising. And what he found was that the frontal regions of the brain were becoming less active uh, during uh, these creative riffs and, and um, improvisational journeys that the people were taking. And then uh, the more control mechanisms of the brain. So the medial frontal lobes were becoming, or the middle parts of the frontal lobe were becoming uh, less active. And then the what's called dorsolateral uh, and uh, the outside uh, parts of the brain and, and parts on the, um, trying to think of a nice lay person way to say this, dorsal, know, lateral, <laughs> dorsal and lateral versus mesial prefrontal cortex. So yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, that the, the, the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex was becoming more active. Um, this is uh, towards more towards the outer surfaces of the frontal lobe and the mesial parts uh, or the middle parts of the frontal lobe were, were, were uh, becoming, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's converse of that. Mesial parts were becoming more active, dorsolateral were, were becoming less active. Right, so okay. as if the um, control mechanisms uh, in the frontal lobe were seesawing back and forth and, and, and during more creative cognition, the, the middle parts uh, of the frontal lobe were becoming more active. And it corresponds somewhat uh, with our findings, our structural findings that showed dorsal and lateral uh, regions of the frontal lobe uh, having less cortical thickness and the white matter connectivity being less, um, having less fidelity uh, that controls uh, frontal lobe uh, organization and connectivity with other parts of the brain. So I think taken together, uh, there is, a, you know, uh, hypothesis that emerges that uh, would call for downregulation of frontal lobes in service of higher creative uh, expression. Lim and colleagues stated in their paper that they believed that this downregulation was a sign of suspension of self-monitoring and related processes that typically regulate conscious control of goal-directed, predictable or planned actions. That means, in lay speak, that for a process that often consumes a lot of energy and can feel exhausting, creativity may actually require the brain to just relax a bit. And I had to really think about that very carefully, how less could be more. Uh, but if you think of your frontal lobes generally as inhibiting or controlling your behavior uh, to create that new idea, you may need to, or desire to, downregulate your frontal lobe control mechanisms in order to produce something that is truly novel and, and perhaps useful. But do these results suggest that creative geniuses are just wired up differently? It's not so simple, says Dr. Evangelia G. Krisiku, an associate professor in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Drexel University and president-elect of the Society for the Neuroscience of Creativity, 
which champions research in the field with workshops and event programmes. While these structural and functional differences are fairly robust across studies, whether they play a causal role in heightened creativity is not yet clear. Evangelia says, We cannot know from this evidence whether the brain differences precede the creative endeavours and achievements or whether the brain has changed because of the person systematically engaging in creative endeavours, or both. Much of this work, understandably, has been geared toward identifying the neural roots of general creative thought. But in practice, the output of the creative process is where the full spectrum of human ingenuity becomes clear. So how do the brains of musical prodigies stack up against master painters and eminent scientists? Studies with colleagues in the University of New Mexico's music department have helped Jung arrive at an approximate theory of how the brain prepares for different creative pursuits. What we found and what we learned from our musical creativity studies is that there's probably this central mechanism in the brain that, that induces creativity, the downregulation of the frontal lobe, let's say. Uh, but then you pull in, depending on your individual expression uh, or, or uh, um, your uh, muse that you are uh, working towards, you pull in different modules of your brain with uh, musicians. It's uh, a, a lot of uh, front uh, uh, um, motor and sensory cortex, a lot of auditory cortex, for example, uh, in musical creativity gets pulled in to constrain the uh, creative uh, potential. So you develop, as with all aspects of creativity, some expertise in the particular discipline that you're studying. And I still believe and haven't been disabused of the notion that there's this general creative thing that happens in the brain and then pulls in various modules uh, uh, in service of that. A writer like yourself, uh, would have a, a lot of uh, uh, brain regions involved in your creative process that uh, underlie um, reading and writing and, and verbal uh, facility, uh, as opposed to someone in the visual arts who are uh, more uh, concerned about uh, color and hue and, and form. Uh, so uh, they would be pulling in that uh, different modules of their occipital cortex and parietal cortex to constrain mm -hmm. uh, that aspect of their creativity. So I think the research is, is starting to show those differentiations between artists, most generally, and scientists. Um, and that is one major delineation that is made in, in the creativity research is artistic creativity versus scientific creativity. To use a more creative description, it could be that creative activity in the brain is structured like a burger. While the great majority of burger recipes require patty and bun as a backbone, it's the extra flavours and toppings that make things interesting. In the same way, once the brain has achieved downregulation of the frontal cortex to get things going, it's in the incorporation of other brain areas that creativity becomes specialised and unique. These general theories about the neural basis of creativity will become more precise with advances in imaging techniques. But such an achievement would still leave a rather sizable question at the heart of the field. I think why does creativity exist at all uh, is an important question. I've attempted to answer it in some of my theoretical musings that, that like intelligence, we all have to have some level of intelligence and it helps us to do uh, adaptive problem solving. And so you can find intelligence from the lowest organism all the way up through humans. And if anything is, is smarter than us, then they will also exhibit uh, intelligence. That is uh, a central capacity of, uh, of evolutionary constraints that 
allow the organism to succeed. Is creativity like that? Uh, is creativity um, appears because all other animals appear to have intelligence, creativity seems to be a leveraging factor that has allowed humans to do something a bit more and a bit different uh, with our intelligence. And that might be adaptive uh, at, at some level. And I've hypothesized that uh, uh, while intelligence is, is necessary for adaptive problem solving, uh, it's usually for problems that are well constrained and that creativity may emerge in our species and other species as an adaptive reasoning process for relatively unconstrained problems. And so I think answering that question will be particularly important to not only um, understanding how um, our species and other species are evolving in a manner that is adaptive and productive, but perhaps to increase or enhance our uh, ability to maximize our individual capacity, whether it be intellectual or creative um, in the future. So I, I do think that creativity uh, is a fundamental reasoning process of the human brain. It might be of other brains. Uh, research is being done in other animals and mice and rodents and dogs and uh, things like that. Um, and I, I think it would be important to understand if it is a fundamental reasoning process of, of brains in general, as opposed to just human brains. Both Jung and Chris Aku agree that to answer these bigger questions, better measures of creativity will be needed. And initiatives like the Society for the Neuroscience of Creativity hope to create more consensus-based effective techniques. Now let's take a step back. If science could bottle, label and store the origin of creativity and the reasons it exists, would that subtract something from the wonders of human creation? If the unearthly, gorgeous worlds of Van Gogh's The Starry Night were simply due to the Dutch prodigy's abnormally weak lateral prefrontal cortex, would that rob the painting of something of its magic? Well, um, possibly. I mean, that can be said of, of anything. If, we, if, if uh, any of these questions uh, that we're somewhat confused about and ask science to help us understand, if we you know, got to the end of it, um, that, that certainly would, would represent a loss, but that's not how science works. Science works uh, in, in uh, approximations and uh, fits and starts and, and moving towards solutions and then uh, finding out that everything you thought was true was, was uh, uh, an illusion. So um, I, I don't suspect that we'll get there with uh, creativity or, or many of these fundamental questions such as what is consciousness or does, does God exist? Or uh, you know, the, we, we can get closer in our approximation of estimating whether something is true or false, uh, but um, that is part of the, the wonder and exciting part actually of doing science is, is and the humbling part of doing science is that you um, might not ever get to the final, final uh, answer. That's, that's, that's true of our lives in general, um, that we will never uh, be able to answer some of the questions before that we would be interested in answering before we die. Um, but that's part of the adventure of life now, isn't it? Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Opinionated Science, and we'll be back in two Fridays' time with a new episode. Until then, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast, and please comment on it. Don't keep your opinions to yourself. 
Bye for now.